This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. It's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I have, and watch my accent, you guys, Alejandro La Pana. I won't say it as good, nice as him, but I will definitely try. You'll think that you'll want to see me on the dance floor so we can bailar all night. I He represents Shockworks. He is the founder. This is his company. He is not an employee. He has created this from the ground up. Some of you young people say the mud. Alejandro, welcome to the show. How are you doing, brother? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Very excited to be here. I'm happy that you are here so we can knock down some of these stereotypes of what does tech look like while everyone talks about diversity and inclusion. You are it and that you can do it in multiple languages is even more beautiful. But I want you to tell folks what does Shockworks do? What problem are you solving? Yeah, absolutely. So with Shockworks, we started off as a technology services provider, very vanilla. So, you know, taking building apps, building websites, e-com games. However, we took a very creative spin because we, you know, after years of uh, not really having a technical background, rather having a financial services background, um, we found that a lot of our partners in delivery we were good at selling, we were good at raising money, but they were just taking that money, becoming serial homeowners, not really focused on building value. So we inverted the model, focused it on partnerships, then became very embedded in sports and entertainment. So started working with all the top uh, South American teams, even through World Cups, onboarded millions of users, started working with uh, Liga Max, Fox Sports, then Real Madrid, Barcelona, PSG. Uh, now we work with actually the Buccaneers and the Bruce Arians Foundation, Raiders, uh, Steelers, you know, all kinds of sports, La Liga. And what we found is that if you are partnership oriented and really focus on the data and getting to know your customer and do it to enhance the experience, not to broker out their data like other companies that I won't name do, uh, <laughs> then you actually can generate some pretty good business value and credibility. So with that, we took those proceeds and we decided to create a venture studio. So what we do is we provide in-kind tech services in exchange, at cost in exchange for equity. So now we have our hands in several pots. So we got involved in VR for safety training. We're involved in uh, games of skills, right? We just launched uh, High Speed Hands, a, a skills-based uh, poker game. We, you know, we work with the NFL on gamification and second screen experiences, uh, soccer, you name it, right? So... We have about uh, 30 portfolio companies that we uh, sit in the cap table of and uh, are involved in the management. And in addition to that, we have 300 full-time employees. Um, interestingly enough, uh, almost 22% of our employees are female, uh, 90, about 87% Latino. Wow. Nice, nice, nice. And, and so not having a, you know, technical background, which later on you guys, you'll see that he's, he is more technical than he puts on. Um, you know, were there any barriers to say, wait, I don't have a background in this. So how do I catch myself up? What, what did you do? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the the way, um, you know, initially it was frightening. I'm not going to lie. Right. It's uh, but then, you know, you approach it with humility and curiosity. So what I found was that, so my background is in, in economics and then I, I went to NYU business, but I've been working all my life, you know, in financial services, IP. So I kind of had a, a systems background. I understand tech trends, things like that. But I also found myself in a position where I'm constantly working with people. It's still, still the case, by the way, working with people that are a lot smarter than I am in a, in a specific domain, you know, computer programming, uh, artificial intelligence, blockchain, all that stuff. So it's more a question of being, you know, of, of knowing how to manage uh, the orchestra more than playing any specific instrument, right? That's, that's the way I see it personally. And uh, it's been good. I've, I've had to play catch up and, you know, taught myself a few things along the way. Okay. And, you know, the education, it, it never stops. So we're all learning every day. Now, you mentioned a lot of the big names, you know, but if folks go to the website, which the links will be in the description, you guys, it talks about how you guys build custom apps. And is it only for, you know, the big boys or can, you know, entrepreneurs, um, you know, folks who are still growing their business, folks who say, you know what, I think that instead of spending thousands of dollars on a website, I want to have an app first. Is that the target market or can they even get something done? Yeah. So um, the, the, my answer is twofold. On one end, right, we do work with a lot of startups, typically Series A or Mezzanine. So, you know, there needs to be a management team. There needs to be some notion of where they're going. And we help in every aspect, you know, from design to testing, to development, to scaling management. But we typically work with, companies that already have budgets in place. Now, we do like to advise uh, more of the very early stage solopreneurs. And eventually, we'd like to reach a platform where we uh, empower these uh, freelancers or solopreneurs to actually build teams cost effectively and match them with different clients. So that that's the evolution of where ShopRx wants to go. Okay. And, and so where would you say that budget starts? And I ask because for clients, you know, who want apps, I always tell them at least have, you know, at least $8,000 to spend where, you know, that's a, uh, can be a starting budget depending on the type of app, but you know, wh where should they be? Or should they be at 60,000 before they contact uh, Shockworks? Honestly, it varies. It depends on the idea, but typically, um, we're talking six, seven figure budgets. Um, and, and that's just because we want companies that already have a management team that know how to allocate capital, have some notion of where they're going because it just makes it easier to um, bring our model to fruition. Now, that being said, I would like to reach a, a, a stage through Shopworks 2.0 where someone with a $2,000 budget can you know, become a part of our ecosystem and actually come into the sandbox and play. Okay. Yeah. That's when you get into the, um, almost the, the Walmart factor, man, or the McDonald's factor, a billion soul, because, you know, everyone has 2000 and, you know, can you talk about why, um, your company needs that budget? Like what goes into place versus you always get these emails as an entrepreneur, Hey, we can build your app for, you know, $2,000. I've heard people going on Fiverr and getting an app and I'm like, Hey, 
<laughs> cross your fingers and pray. I hope you get something that's functional and approved on the different platforms to be downloadable. But can you talk about why, what it takes? Because a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand what it takes. They just sometimes feel like you're going to give them a template of an app that you've well, already done and, you know, plug and play. Yeah. Many times what they end up getting is some kind of, um, you know, a licensable product that they don't really own. So with no work for higher provisions, what we do is we end up uh, creating, creating a company with you or joining your company. And with that building it, you know, building it is one thing. You have APIs, you have the cloud infrastructure, you have the front end, you have the UX and UI. There's so many aspects that go into building a product that is actually good and people will consume and will make you money. You know, anyone can just build, you know, an app for a bakery, but if you want to onboard millions of users, right, then you need a budget that is commensurate with that, right? So that's where, that's where we like to play at those levels, right? It's not just here, take your app and, and go run with it. No, it's let's be partners. Let's build, uh, whether it be a VR solution, an AR solution, an AI solution, a FinTech solution. So there, there's a lot of complexity that goes on behind the scenes. And the app is kind of just the, the front-facing interface, right? And it could be, and it doesn't just have to be an app. It could be many things. So that's where we kind of come into play with more innovative startups that are fun, that are typically venture-funded. And that's where we tend to find uh, our footing best. However, that, again, all that being said, I would like to make everyone an entrepreneur. My goal is to de-risk entrepreneurship and equip everyone with teams, both technical, sales, and the appropriate client base so that we become a platform business. Now, on your website, you talk about, you know, you guys can build on the blockchain. And I, I don't want to go too deep in that because I know entrepreneurs more recently, you know, everybody now is, oh, crypto, crypto. And, <laughs> you know, this more recent thing of, oh, hey, Kellen, do you have any of that doggy coin? And I'm like, wait, That's Snoop Dogg? <laughs> yeah, this, you know, and then Snoop Dogg tweeted it out, right? And it was like, everyone was like, folks who knew were laughing and others were like, let me just doggy coin. Oh, okay. Uh, what's going on? Uh, maybe Snoop and Elon Musk have collabed, right? But the Dogecoin, you know, folks were buying and people are getting more and more into crypto where I don't like that personally because crypto is for, is, is for a different thing. You know, those who use crypto, you know why you use it and, and you don't want to be regulated and you don't want to go tell everybody on YouTube. But are you able for, to build for companies if they only want to um, get crypto, if they only want to accept crypto um, or have it be an option? Is that something that you're able to push? And then the real question is, how do you do it? without being part of somebody's money laundering scheme because a lot of folks want to get crypto so they feel like they can go take it to malta right you know or, or go malta. somewhere and not have the u.s especially tax them so how do you play that fine line and where are you guys at with building on the blockchain so this is this is a very good and complicated question so let me try and unpack it in like three different ways so let, let's let's start with um you know our shared vision of crypto. Uh, I agree with you 100%. When you look at crypto as an asset class, I really couldn't be bothered, right? Like it's just, um, I, I'm not really a speculator, I'm an investor. So I don't, I don't get FOMO over what the price of Bitcoin will be. You know, like it's a situation where 
I'm way too busy building solutions around the blockchain, which is the core technology. So that's what I believe in. I mean, uh, I, I, Jeff Bezos, as he was retiring as CEO of Amazon, he kind of gave a quote where he says, I'm so glad I don't have to explain the internet like I used to 25 years ago. We see the same thing with uh, blockchain. So what I think is, you know, Bitcoin, uh, Ether, all these other, you know, pretty amazing products that unfortunately fell into, you know, like the manic depressive tendencies of the market. Um, you know, these things like, uh, unfortunately, they were, they, they were the pioneers. I see them kind of like in 2000. It's like the pets.com, the, uh, the Netscapes. I think the, the technology still needs to mature. And then that's when you'll get the Facebooks and the Amazons. So um, to that end, what we do is we actually build skills. We have over 40 specialized blockchain developers. And um, we build around the Stellar blockchain. For instance, we have a project where we helped uh, Kinesis uh, and partnered with them to basically digitize physical bullion one-to-one. So now you can actually create a monetary system where you trade gold, right? You exchange gold uh, through crypto one-to-one and with real uh, fully allocated. So it's all backed by vaults, golden vaults. In that case, you know, I think that's an interesting solution. We also, another thing I like to do is I like to make the blockchain accessible. So we built a wallet with a note. And, and our goal, like when we designed it, is I want my grandmother to be able to use remittances cheaper than she would at a Western Union. So you put a little QR code on a note with an HD wallet and it transfers fiat to crypto, crypto to fiat. And we did the same thing through our company, CryptoBucks in the payments industry. So what we like to do is build solutions around the blockchain. The blockchain is the future. That's for sure. You know, it'll be ubiquitous 10 years down the road. It just won't be Bitcoin. It has way too many design flaws, in my opinion. And this is just my opinion. It's not. I agree. I agree. (laughs) You know, just the, the proof of work consensus algorithm consumes so much electricity that I, I just don't don't see how it's scalable. I don't see how it works as a medium of exchange. Some people see it as a store of value, but I, I just I don't I don't I don't even bother with it to be honest. And then to, to your last point about uh, you know registering ICOs in Malta or the Caymans, um, I think a lot of the issue is with the US regulators. You know, the SEC has a seven year statute of limitation. And there's no clear legislation around crypto. You also have investor accreditation, which, believe it or not, I think disproportionately affects minorities because it's not based on um, your level of intelligence or knowledge. It's based on wealth, you know. So you have to be have a certain income status in order to invest in these types of projects, and that's why people avoid the U.S. as a jurisdiction, in my opinion. Well, yeah. And, and that's what this is about, your opinion, because somebody will listen to this and say, wait, hold on. What are you what are you you know, what are you saying? I mean, there's so many people with making money online that they haven't studied finance. They haven't studied business. They haven't you know, they're, they're not in those circles. Uh, I'm a consultant and I get clients who I'm like, hey, are you um, you're doing well. You're a sophisticated investor. You're a qualified investor. And they're like, well, of course I'm sophisticated. Uh, <laughs> of course I'm qualified. And they don't know, right? Where, you know, I always have to clear up my definitions depending on my circles and say, hey, I'm not a unicorn for 10, 15, 20 years. I'm like, I'm not a unicorn. But then you get into the finance of the VC and folks, you know, that means a totally different thing. I'm basically saying I'm not special. You can do it too. But Mm -hmm. um, 
but no, I, I love how you, you, you put that together. Now, how have you, you know, been accepted in tech, you know, being from Venezuela originally. So now you have to fight. Okay. I'm, I'm an immigrant, um, which this whole country is made of immigrants, but people will sometimes make sure you know it. And then there's not a lot of, you know, Spanish guys in tech. And, and I'm sure folks will let you know, hey, Alejandro, could you come over here if you're at CES and translate? No, actually, I'm a founder of a company. I, I'm not a translator, you know. <laughs> so how have you navigated that? Or have you got no pushback where people are just like, oh, yay, Alejandro, you know, been aquí. I mean, to, it, it really depends. So um, in a city like Miami, that's very international, I haven't really received much of that pushback just because, uh, you know, it kind of comes with the territory. Um, you know, in, uh, for instance, in New York City, it's also a very international city. So there what I received was more ageism because I started, you know, very, very young. So it's like, okay, where's your father? <laughs> it's like, why isn't he? I'd always, you know, have some snarky remark to retort with, but uh, where I did, where I would experience that, to be honest, was more, uh, you know, getting like kind of odd and dirty looks uh, when I was doing business, trying to do business in the Northwest or in uh, other areas in the South, uh, you know, in, in those areas, it was kind of, there was a certain degree of skepticism, um, you know, some in the Northeast, even sometimes, you know, I, I had a French partner. And he's like, oh, wow, you know, this guy's Spanish, Latino, and the other one's French. Fuck this. Like, you know, <laughs> like I overheard him saying that. And this wow. is a guy who was like uh, very, 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 very senior in the IP industry. I'm not going to say any names, but kind of a very well-known person. Yeah. And a, lot of, a lot of racism, even from, from uh, you know, the French partner in question that I mentioned and split with him because of that. Yeah, no, this is good stuff because you'll have people say, oh, well, Alejandro, you've made it. So, you know, the racism or any isms don't bother you because you've you've made it and you've been successful. So you should shut up instead of being able to talk about it because there's others to follow you and they may not have, you know, that that tenacity, that toughness to keep on pushing because, you know, as we talked offline, I mean, I've had people tell me it's great that more colored <laughs> PR and consulting firms. And you're like, colored? My goodness, are we in Mississippi burning? So <laughs> we we have to talk about it and we have to be ourselves. I don't know um, about you. I've gotten much pushback. Hey, Kellen, don't let your hair grow so long. Uh, we don't know if we'll let, you know. And have you got that pushback of because you're young even, you should be like this instead of kind of shaking things up. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, I typically if you look at my LinkedIn picture and the way I carry myself, I'm usually wearing, you know, a lot of leather, like, you know, always in jeans and, you know, in a t-shirt. I like to dress with designer sneakers and things like that, you know, and I come into the boardroom looking that way when everyone's wearing ties. I just don't really after after a while, you learn not to care about um, about people's opinions. And if you take it one step further, it serves as like a filtering heuristic because you know who's full of shit and who isn't. If someone's going to judge you based on a very superficial criteria, you know, you already don't, don't want to do business with them. But not everyone is at that stage where you can select who you do business with and who you don't. So it's a balancing act in my view. But I think, uh, you know, I think the zeitgeist is changing. I think uh, what we need to do more than anything is just uh, normalize it. We're all business people at the end of the day. 
you know, it's, it's, that's just, it's how we make a living. It's how we make the world more productive and just, um, you know, keep doing our thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. Cause I just love to be me no matter what circles I am in. I'm just, you know, that, and I, I preach and teach that. So everyone, you know, cause when you're get to the successful, I don't know what successful is. I just know I love what I'm doing. And yeah. if I can solve a problem, I'm going to keep on doing it. Right. But talking about success with success, people have expectations of you. So how do you deal with, you know, family and friends who've known you maybe forever when you're they see you in the newspapers they see you talking and you're speaking and they hear about you um how do you deal with that because you know who much is given much is uh required and they really expect it hey alejandro you think you could help me with my uh, million dollar idea too <laughs> how do you say no right right so so i'll answer this uh twofold um me, I've been very, very, is it, is it okay if I curse in your podcast? You, you, you are able to be you. This is about okay, being you. Yes. So, so one, I'm very blessed that I've had a, a very supportive family. Um, my brother works with me. Um, you know, my, my father has always been extremely supportive. Uh, my mother, she lives in Spain. Very, very supportive. I have a 17-year-old sister and I'm trying to help help her navigate through this. So, so it's, it's never there. No one's ever asking for anything. I'm always offering things. And, uh, you know, and then the other thing is I, you know, I'm very, very good. I've mastered the art of fuck you. You know, like I just <laughs> don't, uh, I don't give any idea the time of day unless it's worth it. And, uh, you know, I, I do like, I do have a soft spot for younger people because when I was younger, a lot of people, you know, either pretended to take an interest in me. Uh, just so they can use me, you know, kind of chew me up and then throw it apart or just kind of didn't give me the time of day until I was valuable. Right. So I, I have like, you know, a soft spot for helping younger people um, kind of build up their companies. But, I'm, you know, if people come and they don't come correct, it's just not, uh, you know, I, I just it's kind of like Warren Buffett says, you know, the best the best skill you can master is saying no and just keeping focus. Wow. You, you, you said something and it hit me. Cause I think of all the people, like when you come down the, you know, the folks who help you love them still to this day, appreciate them. But there are those people who they say they'll help you, but what can they get when they want it? And you feel like, a, I, I, I tell myself, I feel like a prostitute. Sometimes you want to <laughs> pull me in the car. And then once you got what you want, kick me out. And it's like, wait, you were going to help me. And yeah you know, you, you, you promise, you almost feel like a kid, like you promise as a grown man, you can't say that, but right. you, you know, cause you're a man and you're like, nah, well, Hey, I'm going to take what I can get. But, um, I, I love that you, you put that out there. Cause I think a lot of folks go into depression when they get disappointed by someone they thought was going to be a mentor or open a door. And then you don't hear from them anymore, man, I'm rhyming right now. This is bars. Yeah, no, no. It's, that's, that's why it resonates very deeply because, um, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, it was the same thing, right? So um, typically, you know, they don't give you the time of day until you're valuable. And when you're valuable, you know, I've even had uh, legal situations with people I thought were mentors and friends. Uh, you know, they just uh, take what they can get from you. So in many ways, I'm very thankful that happened because it taught me to be extremely self-reliant. I just don't need 
you know, like you can only depend on yourself. And that's what I try to relay to, you know, younger people. So when, um, you know, like I'm, uh, I'm in the board, you know, I'm getting in the board of my high school, I'm uh, bringing in kids that are that are younger, and like, you know, trying to help and mentor them, you know, actually sticking to what I say, in a very, in a very, uh, no strings attached capacity. So that's one thing I'm kind of passionate about. Well, tell us, um, and, you know, I know that you mentor and you're a member of the investor network as far and other things and have a heart for young people. And I, and I love that. And one of the things I, you know, said, hey, I want to have this guy on, um, cause I, I have the same thing. I can't tell a a young person no for anything or for professor will you talk to our college I can't say no because I gotta give it to them the way the professor maybe can't or the teacher if it's even younger kids but what is a community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future um so that's uh that's a good question obviously one thing is fostering entrepreneurship and de-risking it so I think through the private sector through what I do at Shockworks um, I think I, I believe kind of in public private partnerships, I believe in doing well and doing good. So there are two things that I'm specifically targeting. One is the evolution of Shockworks. So to be able to provide a platform so that any, I don't know, say you, you have an interest in design, take a few courses, um, that I can pair you with professional designers. And in addition to that, find you the appropriate clientele at the price point that you're ready for and then help you scale, market yourself, handle all the business aspects, right? Operationally for you. So you can be a master of your craft and an entrepreneur. I think uh, freelance platforms are good, but they've kind of outlived their utility. There's a lot of fraud. Um, it's all based on a rating system. You know, it's, it's all over the world. You can't really, you know, people don't trust it. So I kind of want to break that model and turn freelancers into entrepreneurs. And then more, and the other part is through my investing. So right now I, you know, I see the meat industry, you know, the cattle industry, ranching industry as not just a dying industry, but a very, you know, a very corrosive industry. So I'm doing a lot of my investing in plant-based uh, lifestyle e-com brands in addition to lab and plant-based substitutes to animal protein and dairy. So it's kind of, you know, voting with their dollars in many ways. <laughs> Wow. Well, no, that that's great stuff. And Venezuela, I know, is known for, you know, good meat. Um, I, I know sometimes Argentina and I don't know that other that other country. It's a small one. Brazil. Like Uruguay, uh, Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, everyone. Oh, Brazilian steakhouse. But, you know, so, so many good um, meat dishes. I'm 200 pounds for a reason, people. I like <laughs> to eat. So, no, this is good stuff. When you started your company or anywhere during the journey, did you take angel investment money or VC? So, okay. So that, that's, uh, again, there, there, there are two sides to the story. Mm -hmm. When I started, I did. So obviously I, I used to believe the, you know, the Silicon Valley narrative and fallacy where, you know, you need to raise money in order to get started. That's complete and utter bullshit. Uh, that is not true. You can build profitability without having angel investors or institutional capital. So what I mean by that, when I started, I actually raised way too much money that I knew what to do with when I was 23. And as a result, you know, partnered with the wrong people, 
and was a little bit, uh, I won't say reckless, but wasn't as careful as I normally would be, right? Where it more organic. So step two of my life, I build Shockworks from scratch and it's all self-funded, profitable. And not just that, now we get to make investments in over 30 companies. And I've personally invested in about 100 companies. So it's, uh, it's a situation where, you know, I think uh, if you have high startup costs, then yes, it makes sense to seek out investments. But if you can kind of bootstrap proof your concept and then, you know, raise capital strictly for growth, uh, you're in a much better position. I mean, you want to approach investors from a position of strength and not a position of need. And also not everyone should be raising money. There's a reason why more than 95% of startups fail. Wow. Can you tell somebody just one of those reasons? Because I tell you, I, I've gotten in trouble with my wife one time. She won um, a pitch competition. Um, we, we were blessed to put her in and she was like, they're offering money. I said, you won some money, but I, you can't take their money. You're not ready. Um, right. And I'm part of this business. So you're not ready. And she just didn't understand that for about three months because she was busy doing her own dream, um, doing her trainings. And so can you tell people one reason why they should not take money because i mean this is real money this is not just you know hey we're going to run to the cayman islands with whatever they're giving us well absolutely it's a huge responsibility once you take money it's not um you know typically any sophisticated angel investor will put in a convertible note as uh, as an instrument so that's not that's not uh equity right that's that when you think about it they can easily convert that note and now if you don't prove your model, you're down the rabbit hole for $200,000. So it's just a situation where you need to be mindful of what you're getting yourself into. And it's, we live in a very weird startup culture where people celebrate uh, raising money. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. You're just annexing a responsibility. And with that, you need to perform. So what I, what I tend to gravitate towards is bootstrapping until you prove your concept. Once you prove your concept and you understand you know, your customer acquisition costs, your lifetime value of your customers and how it operates at scale, then raise some money when you know you can actually grow it and make money forever. Wow, that that's game. You guys, I don't want to give you a game overload. I do want you to go check out his beautiful website. Links will be in the description. You guys, you can't be broke if you listen to this because you're hearing how entrepreneurs started, sustain, and are succeeding in business. Alejandro, is anything you want to leave the people with? No, look, I mean, honestly, the only thing I'll say is just uh, crack at it. Don't... Uh... Be over-reliant on investors. And the other thing I, I, I tend to say is just um, uh, seek out information and uh, don't take advice from people unless it's your doctor, your attorney, or your CPA. Just kind of listen to your, listen to yourself, trust yourself. Man, you guys like, share, subscribe. <laughs> we thank you for listening and watching. Be blessed. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.